0: everyone and welcome to episode 6 of Challenging Education from Cognita. I'm Beth Kerr, the Group Wellbeing Director.
1: And I'm Simon Canby, the Group Education Director. On what is our last show in the current series, thank you so much for joining us, wherever you are in the world.
0: On our last show, we spoke to two educational leaders about what their schools are doing in response to Black Lives Matter. For this episode, we turn our focus to the curriculum and its role in providing young people with a sense of identity and belonging. Following Black Lives Matter protests around the world, there have been calls for a redesign of the curriculum. Many people are arguing that education is a critical tool in empowering young people to make change happen and demanding that current gaps in the syllabus be addressed by including a more balanced, representative and relevant account of the black experience and history. Today, we'll be joined by Trishna Harjani, a Cognita teacher based at Stanford American School, Hong Kong. Trishna grew up in Lagos, Nigeria, before moving to Hong Kong. She went to university in the UK and has extensive experience of international education. Having been exposed to several different cultures, she's committed to creating a culturally responsive classroom for her students and families. Trishna will discuss her experiences of education, both from the perspective of being taught and of teaching the curriculum. I want to ask both Trishna and Simon, as our Global Education Director at Cognita, how they feel we can move towards a different curriculum model. Trishna, thank you for speaking with us today.
2: Thank you so much for having me here today. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak about my experience on this current issue that has moved a lot of people around the globe.
0: Uh, I wonder if you can just start by telling us a little bit about yourself and about your role at Stanford, Hong Kong.
2: This is my second year teaching grade five at Stanford and I'm the grade five teacher and team leader. So I have been teaching grade five for about five years in Hong Kong and I'm part of several roles at Stanford. So I'm one of the grade five teachers. I'm the student council elementary leader. I'm part of the Global Citizen Committee as well as the Appreciation Committee at Stanford and I'm one of the Courageous Quality Conversations trainer as well.
0: Going back to your own experiences as a student generally, um, you know, what were those experiences like for you?
2: So I was born in Lagos, Nigeria and I had lived there for 10 years before moving to Hong Kong. As a student it was really interesting because although I grew up in Nigeria, we did not have a lot of Black history. So I always viewed myself as someone who was defined as where I was from. And it was very difficult for me because being in primary school and having moved around from Nigeria to Hong Kong, it was very strange when people used to ask me, where are you from? And I was so unsure where to say where I was from because I had this diverse background. And I felt like I was going through an identity crisis at the time, which was so much for a teenager to go through. And it wasn't until I went to university that I was really able to understand how special and unique my background was.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting, actually, because that sense of belonging that perhaps you felt you didn't quite have when you first joined, you weren't quite sure where you you belonged, is something that as, as a teenager is particularly difficult. Do you think things have changed? Do you think that education has changed from, from your experiences when you were a student?
2: I do believe it has changed. I think people are more understanding and in being international, especially in the educational industry. We have teachers that travel to places all around the world and it's now become the norm for us. I do believe there is a gap in society with reduced inequalities and equity for specific backgrounds of people, though. However, embedding global citizenship into the curriculum, I think that's something that we're trying to do more meaningfully now. And we're really trying to look at our curriculum and see what areas we can work on and how to really cater to the students and the diverse backgrounds that they bring into our classrooms.
0: I'm really interested to to hear you talk about the global citizenship program that I I know that you've... And put a lot of work in, in your school, but I thought it might be a good time to bring in Simon here to sort of ask, who sets the curriculum, Simon, in in schools? How, how does it work?
1: We could almost spend a whole podcast talking about this because it's, in some ways, it's simple, but it's also complicated or, or complex, The reality is in in most countries around the world there is a curriculum that's set by the government but of course that depends in terms of the type of school you are as to whether you have to follow that curriculum or how much of that curriculum you have to follow. Now for independent schools around the world lots of them do have curricular freedom however lots of independent schools do tend to align with at least aspects of the government prescribed curriculum maybe not all of it. Now There's another layer here which I always find really interesting. So you have the curriculum which is the the statutory or regulatory document or a set of expectations and then you have examination boards and as we know for most students in most parts of the world they do exams towards the end of their school career. And something really interesting happens, which which really fascinates me, is that actually what you tend to find, particularly in senior or high schools, is that it's the content of examinations which actually largely dictates the curriculum, rather than necessarily the school's own prescribed curriculum. So, so the exam boards and exam syllabus do play a really important and and crucial role here. The other thing that's just worth bearing in mind when we talk about the curriculum is there are, of course, different systems. So I'm going to present it as as two alternatives. It isn't really two, it's a continuum or a spectrum. But at one end, you've got more knowledge-based curriculum. They're more focused on content. And then at the other end, you've got examples of curricula like, for example, the International Baccalaureate, which isn't a knowledge-based curriculum. That's more about developing inquiring minds. And whilst it does have some prescribed outcomes. Teachers have far more freedom and creativity about deciding the content for their modules, often in the best schools being led very much by students' interest and the backgrounds of students. So the honest answer to your question, Beth, who sets the curriculum, it's a a really complicated one. But I do still believe schools have a lot of ownership in that process and really can determine far more than perhaps they sometimes do.
0: With that in mind then, the next question I suppose is, if we wanted to change the curriculum, how on earth do you go about beginning to, to make those changes?
1: Now, do you think it is possible to change the curriculum? I really do. And lots, lots of schools that I know, and certainly schools within the Cognita family, do a really good job of this. I mean, ultimately, I think you've got to start with what sounds like a really simple question, but it digs deep. And really, you're asking, what type of student do you want to nurture in your school? When they leave your school, what knowledge, what skills, the attitudes, the values, what do you want students to embody? I mean, clearly, they will all be different, but the school needs to know what it is that they are proactively and intentionally setting out to nurture in in their students. And that's the starting point for your curriculum. Let's say, for example, that one of the attitudes that you want to develop and nurture in your students is, is, let's say, celebration of diversity. And I particularly use the word celebration, not tolerance, because tolerance sounds like making do. I I think it needs to be stronger than that. So if we say that we want students to celebrate diversity, that isn't just an attitude, that links to knowledge and skills. So straight away, we then need to think, if we want them to celebrate diversity, what does the knowledge component need to be? And what are the skills that students have? So if, for example, we've got a a monocultural curriculum that's based on, on a set of knowledge, that probably isn't going to lead to a celebration of diversity. So it starts with the big question about what you want. And then you then need to think as leaders and teachers in your school about what is the knowledge? What are the skills that we teach to make sure that ultimately it delivers your desired outcome? And the thing that I think is really important, this is everybody's responsibility in school. Everybody has a role to play in this. So schools can change. I really do strongly believe that. And lots of schools are doing you know, a great job, but there's more we need to do here. Absolutely.
0: I like that term, the monocultural curriculum. Trish, I think what, you, what you've embraced and what you've done um, at Stanford now has, has actually been the complete opposite to that, because Simon was talking very much about, you know, a, a curriculum and a culture and your global citizenship continuum, if you like, very much reflects that, doesn't it? Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: So when I joined Stanford, I was part of the Global Citizenship Core Committee, um, and I did a Harvard course, which is looking at embedding global citizenship into the curriculum. And so what I did was I decided to build a continuum at Stanford that is looking at every unit in every subject across the school. So we're actually being really authentic about embedding global citizenship into our units. So for me, this was not just a box that I wanted to check off into our curriculum planning. So an example is for grade five, for our English language arts unit, we're looking at fictional narratives and fairy tales. But what we decided to do is throw a global citizen spin on it and have students study different cultures and myths and fairy tales. Um, So my class is looking at Cinderella, but the different versions of it. So the... Italian Cinderella, the American Cinderella, the Chinese Cinderella, and looking at their actual names and just really finding out more about their culture. And another example is for math, when we're looking at our unit on form for 2D and 3D shapes, we decided to add in the wonders of the world. So having the students look at the wonders of the world in area and perimeter and volume. So this really played a huge impact in just combining and collaborating all our units together but just having that sense of global citizenship in each unit for the students.
0: Trisha what's interesting about that is that, that there has been a lot of coverage in the media about the teaching of black history and um, we'll come back to that but this is a, is a much broader thing. So, so do you think it's it's sort of beyond history um, and, and goes into, into every subject?
2: I feel with global citizenship there's so much to offer it's such a rich content that can be incorporated in any subject and in any mini lesson. And when you're looking at the IB learner profiles and attitudes that you do in, like, embed in your morning meetings and in your classroom agreements, I believe that global citizenship is something like that that you could have. Um, it's really important for me that students and the the whole classroom, the whole community understands that, that it's not just, something that we want to have done. We want to make sure that all the students in our class feel welcome, they feel safe. So it's not restricted. I feel like with global citizenship, it's more free flow and it's more open-minded for the kids and the teachers.
0: What do you think about that, Simon? Yeah,
1: I mean, I absolutely agree. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because in the media, it's very much picked upon the history curriculum and and without a doubt clearly there's there's massive work that needs to be done there to make sure that the history curriculum really is reflective of diversity but in some ways I I do feel a little bit sorry for history teachers because it it feels a little bit through the lens of the media that it's only the job of history teachers and I think to Trishna's point this has to go out through the whole curriculum and, and Trishna's given really great practical examples about this how this is going through the literacy curriculum through the maths curriculum and I think the other thing for me that's important is that whilst knowledge is a big part of the curriculum, global citizenship is more than that because this is about how children learn, but then it's also about how children feel about themselves and about how they how they actually develop their identity and their own sense of self-worth and self-efficacy because all of the teaching is, is helping the child at the centre of it to build their view of the world. And I've been thinking a lot about this for obvious reasons recently, and I wonder when schools are reviewing their curriculum, whether they need to be thinking about the content of the curriculum, but also the resources that they use and the people that they present. So, for example, when we present role models, scientists, for example, or historians or designers, who are those role models? What implicit messages are we giving through the resources and through the role models that we present? Because let's remember that children are relying on us to give them a view of the world. And I think we really have to ask ourselves a deep question as educators. Is our curriculum representative of the world that the children are growing up in, that they are part of? And if the answer is no, actually, I think we have to look in a mirror and we have to do something about it.
0: What you remember as a child from school is probably... Not the lessons. Perhaps this was just my school, but you know, I don't really remember the maths lessons. But I do remember that Gareth Edwards, who was a very famous rugby player, came into our prize day. That—that's what I remember. So actually, maybe those opportunities outside the lessons to be more representative of a diverse community are, are possibly even more powerful.
1: And also on that one, Beth, whilst learning is a cognitive process, it's also a social and emotional process. So to your point exactly, our memories are often formed through emotions. It's through how you were made to feel at certain points in time. And, you know, let's take this to its extreme. If a student is in school and thinking... This whole curriculum feels alien to me. It doesn't feel representative of of either my world or of who I am. And they may not articulate it in in that way, but that's what's going on for them. What are we doing and what does that do to them? I I think as educators, we have a responsibility to reach out in order to make sure that our curricula wraps around the the children in our care.
2: This is uh, one of the reasons why I actually started up Humans of Stanford. This is one of the projects I was talking about earlier. So it's basically this platform for members and staff and parents to come in and showcase their story. And it's very similar to what Simon said in that social-emotional connection for the students. And for me, it's a platform where students can connect and resonate to stories that teachers are coming in and sharing about things that they've gone through, social issues, global issues how they were impacted and how they took action. So what we do at Stanford is we use this, but we use it on uh, the United Nations 17 Sustainable Development Goals. And so parents and members of staff can select which goal that they're passionate about and share their story about how they took action and how that story impacted them. And the best part is, is that you're never too old or young to hear a story and the students really latch on to it. So it teaches our students about making teaspoons of change, but also sharing your passions and interests, because one day your story is, is inspiring students to do the same. And the whole thing is we need to have the students live in the moment. They need to learn about the current affairs that are happening. And that's what life is all about, right? Right. You know,
0: I absolutely love what you have both brought so far. We've got all these amazing, tangible ideas that that educators can try. We know what we need to do, but if we can now look at the challenges about why can't we just do that? You know, it might be uncomfortable to talk about, but do you think there's a place for exploring unconscious bias, for example? Perhaps Simon, we start with you.
1: Yes, I, I actually think there is an absolute need to deal with unconscious bias in school. However, I wouldn't badge it as unconscious bias in the first instance. I think I would weave it just into learning conversations with students where you present scenarios or situations to students and you know you just say well what, what do you think about that so for example you you could be talking to students about uh, gender role models or particular race role yeah. models or sexuality and then start just to unpick the conversation and say well why do you think something should be the way it is and then start to flip things and turn them on the head and say to students well How about if it's um, a woman in this scenario or a black woman or a disabled man? And just start to play around with that. And then I think as students get older, you absolutely do introduce the term unconscious bias. So I think it should be there. But I think it's almost our job as educators to be just provocative with students, to get them to think differently. I think good teachers just do this, but they do it without necessarily thinking, I'm teaching about unconscious bias on a Tuesday afternoon. I'm not suggesting in this that teachers don't do it, but I think we need to perhaps be even more intentional about it.
0: And perhaps honest with ourselves sometimes that we all may have some unconscious bias, and, and unless you start talking about it, it's not identified. So, Trishna, at Stanford, have you explored the issue of unconscious bias?
2: There are amazing resources out there on the internet with videos that showcase unconscious bias. And I have mm. done little provocations like that with my students just to see their reaction and to like have great and rich dialogue. And it's always come out really, really positive and it's kind of been that little quick aha moment at school, which is great. But I also Can you give us an in... example,
0: Trishna, of, of one of yeah. those those things that you've done?
2: So there's actually this video on YouTube and it's called Love Has No Limits and it's basically this x-ray vision screen and behind the screen they've got two people and they can't see who they are you can just see their skeletons and so when I played this at first for my students they were a bit confused and they didn't know what was going to come about and when the people came out it was basically a man and another man and they were shocked. And I said, okay, let's keep watching. And another, there were two little girls and they were playing and one came out and one had a disability and one did not. And it was promoting love has no disability. So it was just showing them that. And it was looking at culturally responsive teaching methods Mm -hmm. to promote respect and embracing diversity. And I think that was the main objective of that lesson for me and i think the kids really took away from that one example
0: it's actually about seeing a more diverse world isn't it in fact we were talking uh, earlier in the week about even if you're in a school in a part of the world that doesn't have a diverse population actually by connecting with some of our other schools across the globe that's a great opportunity for them to see you know a more diverse world
2: yes exactly and The best part about it is that at the end of the day, the kids are just looking at a skeleton. And that's what we are. We're all skeletons.
0: I'm going to look up that video um, later on today. Sounds brilliant. OK, look, it's been a a wonderful conversation and we've, we've explored some challenges and some amazing sort of things that people can try. And it's been it's been fascinating. But I'm going to ask you one final question. I'll start with Simon. If you could ask every school to do one concrete thing, what would it be?
1: Well, I think it probably has to be to take a look at the curriculum and review the curriculum. But actually, my one concrete thing is for every single person to take responsibility. Whilst this is a big piece of work across a whole school, I actually believe, certainly all of my friends that are teachers and the, the well, thousands of teachers I know who are just fantastic people, I think if every teacher said, I am going to make sure that I reflect and I change something in the curriculum that I deliver, the experience for my students, I actually think that could make a really powerful difference. So I think it's about everybody taking responsibility and lots and lots of small changes could make a real step change here. So individual action.
0: Um, And Trishna, what about you?
2: So I believe it's important for our children to know that's okay to discuss current events that are happening in the world. I believe it's okay that the detail of the issue can be amended to the student's age, but it's important to highlight. I don't want our children to shy away from voicing their opinions, their thoughts or feelings about what they're passionate about, but obviously doing it in a respectful way. But one thing that I can't stress is how important it is to open up your classroom to faculty members, parents and students anyone who has a story or experience to share. And just because anyone loves listening to stories, and we can learn so much from someone's personal experience, their views and thoughts on what has impacted them. And in this way, you're building a strong community, and it's filled with transparency and a culture of care and learning. But you're also building future global citizens while doing this
0: wonderful so it's very much listening to those lived experiences and I I love that Humans of Stanford it's a brilliant idea that has been such an interesting discussion and that concludes today's episode of the Challenging Education Podcast Trishna thank you so much we really appreciated you joining us and as always if you found this episode interesting please like and review the show and share your views with us on social media you can do this by tweeting us at Cognita School and including the hashtag CognitaWay.
1: And if you know someone who might be interested in the things that we've discussed today, please do share our podcast with them. Now, as we said earlier, this is the last episode in our current series. So until our next show, from Beth and myself, please stay safe, stay well, and see you next time.
0: Goodbye.